0: Once upon a time, there was a movement called the Chosen. And they were just days away from crossing over into the Promised Land. Just days away. And the enemy knew it. He knew they were closer to the promised land than they did. And so, in desperation, he reached for his dark and diabolical quiver. One arrow left, a poison shaft, just Three letters long, this arrow, S-E-X. And when he fired that arrow deep into the heart of the chosen, great was the slaughter that day on the very borders of the promised land let us pray oh god has once upon a time come again and are the chosen on the very borders once again of the promised land if so holy father then this teaching is critical for our survival hide me hide all our hearts in the presence of the Spirit of Christ and teach us this morning we pray in Jesus name Amen open your Bible with me please to that sad sad story it's the fourth book of the Bible the book of Numbers You've got to read it. We're not going to embellish it. We're not going to add to it. Numbers chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible. It would be page 112. My heart is burdened this morning, and I'm going to unburden it with you. But I want this story to be our setting for the teaching. So Numbers, fourth book of the Bible, Numbers Chapter 25, if you, have the, if you have the few Bible, it'll be the New King James Version, which will be what I'll be reading right here. Numbers chapter 25, verse 1. Now Israel, just days away from the Promised Land. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, in the Hebrew it's Shittim. And the people of Israel began to commit harlotry with the women... Of Moab. Now, the New International Version, which many of you have on your laps, reads And the people began to indulge in sexual immorality with the women of Moab. Verse 2 They, the women, they invited the people of Israel, the chosen. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people, the chosen, ate and bowed down to their gods, the Moabite gods. Verse three. So Israel was joined a Baal of Peor and the anger of the Lord was aroused against the chosen. So brazen. Is this arrow. You're not going to believe what you're about to read, but it's there. Trust me, this never ended up in any Bible story book for children. Watch this. Drop down to verse six. And indeed, one of the children of Israel, one of the chosen came and presented to his brothers and sisters. He's walking into camp and presents to them a Midianite. That would be pagan woman in the sight of Moses. And in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, they are having a prayer meeting. A plague has broken out and by the tens of thousands, they are dropping. The plague has its intended purpose. It creates a a, a massive sense of need for God. And so the the community has gathered at the doors of the church and they are weeping in prayer and in front of. Of that reviving, slowly reviving community. A young man of the chosen with his Midianite consort brazenly walks in front of them straight into his tent. And you don't have to have been born a long time ago to guess what's going to happen in that tent. Now, while they're at prayer meeting and weeping, verse 7. Now, Phineas... The son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the high priest. He saw it. Dries, wipes off his tears, rises from the congregation, steps out of the prayer meeting. And he took a javelin in his hand. All right. Now, it's not very pretty. And he went after. This is verse eight. He went after the man of Israel into the tent. They are already coiled around each other. And he thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. Verse 9. And those who died in that plague were 24,000. The end. Hey, guys. There is something going on here that we're not picking up on yet. Something's happening here. Here. the Apostle Paul tells this very same story to make the point let's see what that point is we're not coming back to Numbers 25 so don't keep your finger there 1 Corinthians go to the New Testament now we had the Old Testament story 1 Corinthians chapter 10 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that would be page 772 in your pew Bible we've read these words before Our last time with these words. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse six. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And verse seven. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse eight. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, twenty three thousand fell. Time out, time out. Wait a minute. We just read 24,000. There's a discrepancy in Holy Scripture. Scholars scratch their heads and they say, ah, it's this. The plague destroyed, destroyed 23,000. But God gave a command that we skipped over in Numbers 25 when he says, I want the leaders strung up. The leaders who have plunged into this anarchy, this sexual anarchy, and a thousand young judges were executed that day. Total 24,000. What's going on here, Paul? What's your point? Verse 11. Now, all these things happened to them wandering through the wilderness. All these things happened to the chosen as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. It is for the chosen one last time at the borders of the promised land that the stories have been preserved. Once upon a time, the chosen were on the borders of the promised land when sexual immorality brought them down. Once upon another time, the chosen are once again on the borders of the promised land. Question, shall sexual immorality bring us down as well? I want to unburden my heart to you as we plunge into this fourth and final controversial subject. This is number four of the four within the series, The Chosen. true, True or false? Our human sexuality is a glorious gift from God. True or false? But of course, true. God gave us sex. Gave it to us in the beginning. In fact, let me take you back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 1. Remember these words? So God created man, Adam in the Hebrew, generic human. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female takes the two. Male and female, he created them to make the image of God. And then God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fear the earth, fill the earth rather, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Populate this brand new planet for me. Now, the little uh, up-close zoom-in in in chapter 2 of the wedding itself sets us up in chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man, Adam, should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Not identical to him, comparable to him. And after that wedding ceremony, there's this glorious exclamation Uh, Verse 24, Genesis 2, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and then they shall become one flesh. All right, ladies and gentlemen, what you and I have always known. Come on, you knew this. I knew this. God created our sexuality so that we might be fruitful and multiply procreation. We call it. But I want to remind you that sex is not only is not just about procreation and multiplying. Sex is a gift from God to the human race to make possible the ultimate intimacy that can exist between two human beings, i.e. a man and a woman in the protective confines of marriage. Sex is about the gift of ultimate intimacy. You say, oh, come on, Dwight. You can't prove that. Oh, I yes, I can. Look at this. Genesis chapter four, verse one. You ever, when you were a kid, you can figure these words out. Mom, what does this mean? Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she got pregnant. Should we not know girls? No, son. That's not what it means. And then she never answered the rest of the question. <laughs> but God is doing something intentional here. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now, the Hebrew word there is Yadah. He knew her. God's making a huge point right here at the beginning after the fall. His point is intimacy, intimacy, intimacy must be experienced on the level of knowing. Hey, listen, there are five levels to knowing, but you have to have the first four in place before the fifth one makes a hoot of sense. All right. You've got to know somebody first on the mental level. I just see you. Yeah, like to get to know you. Then you know somebody on the emotional level, kind of like this getting to know you. See, you got the mental level, the emotional level, and the social level. Hey, what do you say we go out together? That's the social level. Then you get to know somebody if your friendship progresses on the spiritual level. You you love God too? Ooh, let's love God together. God's point is it takes the first four levels in order to prepare for the ultimate intimacy of the fifth level, which is knowing that person on a physical or sexual basis. If you only go to number five, you have short-circuited intimacy. And do you know what you have? You have what is spelled F-A-K-E. Say it with me. Fake. It's a fake. You have to know on all these levels. Then... That intimacy is yours. By the way, God comes along. This, this is amazing. God comes along. And in Jeremiah 9, we'll look at this verse a little bit later. He comes along in Jeremiah 9. He says, hey, you want, you want to be excited about something? You want, it, you want to write your folks back at home and tell them what you, what you have found? Don't boast in your wisdom. Don't boast in your wealth. Don't boast in your prowess, your strength. Let him who boasts, let her who boasts, boast in this, that she, yada, that she knows me. You see, ultimate Human intimacy is a paradigm for ultimate divine human intimacy. God takes the very same word. Adam and Eve had sexual relations. He said, I want that word to describe what I'm hungry for you to experience with me. So, guys, here's what's happening. When Israel, the chosen, when they join themselves to Moabitess prostitutes and experience illicit sex. Do you understand? They were sacrificing their intimacy with Almighty God himself. They were substituting it now. A fake intimacy is substituted. Immediately having the residual effect on the Israelite conscience. Immediately. As soon as they go for the fake intimacy. Intimacy, the conscience breaks down and from sex they turn to God's. The conscience breaks down so rapidly that they turn from the living God in a matter of minutes and are soon bowing in front of the pagan idols of Moab, which is precisely what Satan had in mind. That's why he shot that arrow in the first place. Take them down now. I cannot let them cross over. No wonder. The divine reaction was so swift and so strong. Twenty four thousand dead. Because unbridled, illicit sex eats away at the human conscience and renders the chosen weak. Now the chosen is weak. He, she is impotent. To the heavy-handed wooing that the tempter had in mind the whole time to collapse, to dumb down the conscience and destroy that faith. That's the whole point. Just thinking about it makes you cry. You know what? It just makes you sad. I feel like weeping too. Which is why, ladies and gentlemen, Satan, with his demonic and diabolical cunning, was waiting for Israel. Waiting for them right on the borders of the promised land. I'm waiting for you, boy. I'm waiting for you, girl. Just step into my line of fire. And he got him. Got him. I'm unburdening my heart to you today. I want to share with you three realms of illicit sex. One of the three is being defended by those within the community of faith. But I'm going to share all three with you. I'm going to be as candid as I can be. And under the power of the Spirit, I hope as forthright as God intends for this teaching to be. Take your study guide out right now. I'm going to I want you to jot these down. There are three realms of illicit sex, fake intimacy, that are crippling. These three realms, they are crippling. The children of the chosen on the borders of the promised land. And by the way, those of you over the age of 30 or over the age of 40, I don't want to hear you sitting back and just saying, all right, pastor, let them have it. Because there'll be a little something for you and me in this as well. All right. Take your study guide out. Where's your study guide? You got it in your. uh... Oh, and I got to do two things with this. Listen, guys, this is the last of the Q&A. But because the subject is sex, nobody's going to step up to a microphone. I'm going to ask you to write your question down. Write your question down. If you don't have a piece, there's a piece of paper in the bulletin for you to write it down. But you didn't get a bulletin. Hold your hand up. Our ushers will make sure you get a piece of paper along with the study guide. Make sure you get the study guide. This is a keeper. And if you want to ask a question, and you, of course, have no idea yet whether you want to ask it. But if you want to, get that piece of paper. While they're doing that, those of you watching on television, we're delighted to have you. Let me put our website on the screen for you. And you can go to this website. You see it there right now. www.pmchurch.tv. Go to that website. You're looking for a series called The Chosen. This series will be over in a month. You're looking for The Chosen. This is the heart of it. Four controversial subjects. And today's teaching is entitled How to Live Without Sex for a While. All right? So click on where it says study guide beside that title. You'll get the same study guide. This is a three panel study guide. We're going to fly through it starting right now. And so make sure you have it. And um, I want to make sure everybody in the balcony gets it as well. If you need a question, a Q&A piece of uh, blank paper, hold your hand up and use that. Uh, The the ushers will get that for you. All right, let's let's jot it down. Three realms of sexual concern, and then I'll conclude with a simple fourfold life and sex strategy. All right, here we go. Realm number one, I am concerned today. Realm number one, pornographic sex. Pornographic sex. And then every one of these three realms will end with a question, a natural question. Why resist? Now, why? Come on, please. Pornographic sex. I am convinced that the single greatest threat to this nation and this church and this campus is pornography. Its anonymous availability through the click of the mouse on the Internet today is sucking tens of millions of men and boys, women and girls into its dark vortex. I am concerned. I have had men in my office weeping their hearts out, young and old men, over their addiction to pornography. What's going on with pornography? It is illicit sex that offers a fake intimacy. Fake intimacy. And the danger is it dumbs down your conscience. It will eventually destroy your faith. It will destroy you. Trust me. You, got, you need to look at these numbers. This will, this will blow you out of the water. The National Coalition for the Protection of Children, I'm gonna fly through this. If you don't get them all now, go to our website. The answers will be at the bottom. The National Coalition for the Protection of Children reports that 25%, write that down, of all internet search engine requests are related to pornography. One out of four Googling is saying, find me something, find me something out there. One out of four. Isn't that amazing? There are 1.3 million pornographic websites logged onto by 30 million people every day, making it a $3 billion a year industry. Keep your pen moving. At least 20,000 American adults visit internet sex sites at least 11 hours, not a month, not a year, a week. 11 hours a week. 20,000 American adults. 20,000, I mean, 20% of men. And 13% of women do it on the job. Look at that employer. They're doing it on the job. About 8% of all emails include pornography. You know that. Those emails somehow get through the filter and you'll get one. Russian girls. You've seen them. Get this. An estimated 20,000 images of child pornography are posted on the Internet every single week. 20,000 new pictures of kids. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children reports that the average age of first Internet exposure to pornography is 11. I heard someone this last week say five. And the largest consumer of Internet porn, this blew me out of the water, 12 to 17 years of age. The largest consumer, 12 to 17. Seventy percent of sexual advances over the Internet happen when the youngsters are at home on a computer. Mom and Papa, you listening to me? We've got some young parents to be. Are you listening 70% Seventy percent of the sexual advances are happening at home on the home computer. Look at this. Twenty percent of parents do not know any of their children's Internet passwords, instant messaging nicknames or email addresses. What do you know of your children? Hmm. What do you know? In a recent Sunday, Herald Palladium, which is published right here in Berrien County. Which reported all these statistics. There is an FBI agent. Special agent who's devoted to child porn. He's working out of the St. Joseph FBI office. His name, Robert Sell. So he's given a little presentation. I'm going to put Robert Sell's words on the screen here. In my professional opinion, I would restrict all access to MySpace. And I would not allow my child to have a MySpace page. I would tell my daughter that sexual predators would be able to easily find her. Predators search for things like this. MySpace is by far the worst thing on there, not only for children but for adults. End quote. My friend Bernie Anderson addressed this campus at a special forum chapel on Thursday, sharing the confession of his new book entitled "Breaking the Silence." Here's Bernie's new book. Bernie sent me the manuscript as he was writing it. I read it and I wrote a promotion that appears on the back cover of this book. Bernie was our co-host at Net 98. He stood up here with me to 100 nations and 40 languages, night after night after night. We did not know at the time that Bernie was already under the grip of, of, porno, of pornographic addiction. In this book, with courage and conviction, the Seventh-day Adventist pastor shares his testimony and describes how God delivered him from pornographic addiction. He told us on Thursday, 40% of clergy, 40% of clergy have a pornography problem. It's amazing. There's there is a way out. I need to say this. And just a moment. In fact, I'm going to share with you a fourfold strategy. There is a way out. But would you would you write this down, please? The best way out is to never go in. Don't go in. If you're dabbling right now, wondering whether you go any further, my friend, you got to stop, 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 stop. There's somebody who is not interested in your entertainment. He is only interested in melting down your conscience and destroying your soul. That's all he wants. Don't you go. Don't you go. Read my friend Bernie's book, Breaking the Silence. I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, if we do not start talking about this and acting on this in our community of faith, we will lose half an entire generation of our best and brightest. Sucked. At the beginning of their life journey. Do you think it's do you think it's in, it's an accident that these stupid little pop ups pop up. It's insidious. It's satanic. It's a lure. And the arrow is just waiting for you to touch the mouse. Fake intimacy. The fake intimacy of illicit sex. It dumbs down the conscience and destroys the faith. All right. Three realms I'm concerned about. Realm number two. Write it down. Premarital sex. Why wait? By the way, you can scribble down there if you're already past premarital. Extramarital sex. In my blog today, in, in the worship bulletin, it's already posted on our website, pmchurch.tv. I write a weekly blog. I report on a recent school board decision of the King Middle School in Portland, Maine, in which they voted 7-2 to two to provide a full range of birth control contraceptives for ch- students as young as 11 years of age. If you have your parents' permission, you can go to the medical center. You don't have to tell them why you want to go to the medical center. Just get their permission. And if you ask for birth control, we will give you birth control. So, ladies and gentlemen, what is happening to America? How young are we supposed to have sex? Is it 11 or is it 12? I'm a little confused. Is it 11 or 12? Is it 13? Is it 14? When are we supposed to have sex? 15? Is that it? 15? 16? 17? What about 18? What's wrong with 19? 20? 21? When do we start sex in America? Rachel Wilson, a student here at Andrews University this last week, uh, sent me a piece from the uh, Wall Street Journal. Just came out last week in which a study by Michigan State University reported. Jot this down. Sixty percent of university students surveyed Michigan State have had a sexual friends with benefits relationship. We're friends because, you know, we both get a little something out of this. Nine out of ten of those hookups did not lead to a dating relationship. It was a one night stand. The Journal of Sex Research, keep writing, reported last year that after casual sex, females are more likely than males to show symptoms of depression. You start melting down, sis. You start melting down. You will start melting down. Laura Sessions step author of the book Unhook, Put it on the screen for you. Unhook: How Young Women Pursue Sex, Delay Love, and Lose at Both. Interviewed girls who considered it empowering to be dismissive of romance and casual about sex. Not a big deal. Who cares? They now are beset with regret. As as it so happened, this very week, a young co-ed calls me up on the phone in tears. She has melted down. Melted down. Premarital sex. You know what it is, don't you? Premarital sex. It's fake intimacy. There's nothing there. It's a fake. Its whole purpose is to begin to dumb down your conscience, melt it down so that your faith will be gone. In a moment of crisis, you've got nothing there to call on. It's over. That's the point. I'm being very straight with you. But I've got to be. We are on the borders of the promised land. Do you understand? The arrow has been waiting for this generation. And by the way, you say, I'm married. Good. Stay married. And Stay away from every other woman on this planet. I don't want to hear about little dalliances with co-eds. Don't need it. You stay away. And by the way, sis, if he's married, stay away. You're half the you're half the equation. You stay away. Fake, fake intimacy will leave you bankrupt. All right, I'm concerned about three realms. It's the third realm now that we've come to realm number three, homosexual sex. Why not? I have visited with homosexuals here in my church office. I've heard their testimonies of pain and rejection. I've listened to their anguished. Why not, Pastor? Come on. Why not? And I want to tell you something. My heart goes out to you. My heart goes out to you. We're not going to put the words up on the screen again, but just a moment ago we were in Genesis. We saw the ideal that God created. It's very clear there. It is within the protective confines of a marriage between a man and a woman that ultimate human intimacy is to be preserved. Sacred Scripture never deviates. Not once does it deviate from that high calling. In fact, Christ Jesus, the, the Creator incarnate, when He comes to earth, He quotes the very words we read a moment ago and He says, Guys, this is it. Marriage is between a man and a woman and the intimacy must be protected within those walls. Homosexual sex. Listen, there is no complementarity with homosexual sex. It is the union of identicals. Not the union of compliments. It's fake. It's fake. There's no intimacy. And by the way, whether it's heterosexual sex or homosexual sex. And I read a survey this last week where they interviewed. They surveyed college students on a particular campus. And they said, why do you do this sex? huh? Why do you do this sex before marriage? And not a one of them said, because I love her. Not a one of those girls said, because I love him. The bottom line is a newspaper put it was lust over love. Listen, 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 listen. Illicit sex is never about commitment. Heterosexual or homosexual. It's not about commitment. It's about consumption. Give it to me. I want more. It's not about commitment. In fact, I need to be very gentle here. But there is no such thing as male monogamous, homosexual commitment. That phrase is an oxymoron. It just doesn't happen. You say, I'll find you one, Dwight. Good. The one that you find will prove the rule. Because it will be that hard to find it. Guys, when it's fake intimacy, do you think God is saying, I'm blessing, I'm blessing, I'm blessing? No. No. Richard B. Hayes, brilliant mind, New Testament ethicist at Duke University in his magnum opus, magisterium, really his book, The Moral Vision of the New Testament, which I have. I'm going to put some words. It's in your study guide. Look at these words on the screen. Let me put them on the screen for you. Hayes now is writing. When human beings engage in homosexual activity, they enact an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual reality, the rejection of the creator's design see, Hayes does what you can only do. You have to go back to creation for your model. He does. Thus, Paul's choice of homosexuality in Romans chapter 1, and Paul does point out men consumed with lust for other men and women the same. Paul's choice of homosexuality in Romans 1 as an illustration of human depravity is not merely random. It serves his rhetorical purposes by providing a vivid image of humanity's primal rejection of the sovereignty of God the Creator. End quote. Now, I'm not saying that. A brilliant mind is saying that. Say, oh, pastor. But come on, please. <laughs> some of us are heterosexuals and some of us are homosexuals. And come on, our orientation is not our fault. OK, it's fair enough. So let's sidestep the whole nature versus nurture argument. OK. We won't even we won't even talk about our orientations, by the way. I need to tell you, the Bible uh, knows nothing of sexual orientation. That is a modern classification. You understand that. But what the Bible does know about is a single, simple, divine principle for all human sexual interaction. Would you write this down, please? Outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, there is to be no interpersonal sexual expression. Because outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, illicit sex creates a fake intimacy and it will dumb down your conscience and destroy your faith. You just can't do it, God says. There's no proviso. Not, 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 well, the human race has fallen now, so we have this little proviso. No, there is no proviso. God will not cut a deal, a Faustian bargain with Satan. He will not cut that deal and say, alright, we'll let your way be for a while. Nope, it's wrong. Fake intimacy from illicit sex will destroy you. So keep your pen moving. In other words, whether heterosexual or homosexual. okay. so now we've just eliminated that distinction. All children of God outside of marriage between a man and a woman are to live a life of celibacy, which means sexual abstinence. Sexual abstinence. Listen to Hayes now. This is masterful. Very careful logic. I want you to follow it. You're a bright minded individual. Quoting Richard Hayes again, despite the smooth illusions perpetrated by mass culture in the United States. And oh, how true. Sexual gratification is not a sacred right. And celibacy is not a fate worse than death. (laughs) Boy, I tell you, watching Hollywood, you'd say, you have to, you just have to. Celibacy is not a fate worse than death. Hayes goes on. Surely, oh, this is good. Surely, it is a matter of some interest for Christian ethics that both Jesus and Paul live without sexual relationships. So, within the church, we should work diligently to recover the dignity and value of a single life. The church needs to start affirming people who are choosing to remain single all their lives. There is a value in that, it's not a death sentence. The media would have you believe you got to, like an animal, you got to be able to do this or you'll die. You are not an animal. You are a brilliant being created in the image of God. And if he hasn't found a match for you of the opposite gender, then you're going to live faithfully with intimacy with God only. You will live faithfully with intimacy with God only. Now, Hayes gets even better. Watch this. Heterosexually oriented persons are also called to abstinence from sex unless they marry. First Corinthians seven verses eight through nine. The Bible teaches that the only difference, admittedly a salient one in the case of homosexually oriented persons is that they do not have the op- option of homosexual marriage. Why? Because there's no such thing as homosexual marriage. The definition has to be between a man and a woman. It's not marriage. It's not marriage. The Bible recognizes no marriage. No marriage. But between a man and a woman. So they don't. It's true. So they don't. I can't go to a homosexual marriage. So where does. Now, but here's, here's where he goes. So where does that leave homosexuals? It leaves them, listen, in precisely the same situation as the heterosexual who would like to marry but cannot find an appropriate partner, and there are many such people alive today. There's not a difference. God is not playing. Talking out of two sides of his mouth and giving one guy a harder time. No, it's it's an even playing field. Everybody the same. I got to read that sentence again. It leaves them in precisely the same situation as a heterosexual who would like to marry, but cannot find an appropriate partner. And there are many such. How do I live then? You are summoned to a difficult, costly obedience while groaning for the redemption of our bodies. Romans 8, 23. End quote. Would you write it down, please? Outside of marriage, the divine playing field is even and the child of God will be given the moral purity and divine power to live a life without sex. So finally. We ask the question, how can I live without sex for a while? For a while means until you're married or if you've chosen to live or you can't find the one you want, then it means until Jesus comes. How can I live without sex that long? I'm going to share with you now a fourfold strategy for life and sex. And I'm going to do it backwards. We're going to start with number four in your study guide. So drop down to ex- there are Four exercises here. Go to exercise number four, please. Number four. Write it in. Exercise your heart. Exercise your heart. Bernie Anderson told us on Thursday that what broke the power of pornography in his life was turning to a friend. It happened to be a pastor colleague of his. He said that began the release. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we are social beings. We are created to thrive heart to heart with each other. You and I need a small group to join we need a group of spiritual friends who will love us through our homosexual struggles, through our pornographic addictions, our loneliness, our need for companionship, our need to be loved. We need a group that's safe. We don't need a whole church. I just need a small group. Look, at that's what Paul's talking about. Hebrews chapter 10. Take a look at this. Verses 24 and 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We've got to come together as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. I tell you what, if you'd like to join a small group, and that was a beautiful story you saw just a moment ago. Wasn't that beautiful? That's what small groups do. They take people all the way to the kingdom, take you to the borders of the promised land. If you would like to join a small group, we've got Pastor Esther here and her her leadership team of small group leaders. They would be happy. You don't have to tell them why you're joining. That's absolutely immaterial. We don't have little groups for people with this temptation and people with that temptation. Are you kidding? We all have the same temptations. That's why. And in the course of your journey with this group, it will come out how similar, in fact, our struggles are. And by the way, everything in that group stays in that group. That is the most confidential circle on earth. If it's not, you tell me. We'll shut the group down. Just like that. You tell me. That's to be the most protected place in this community. Four exercises to survive with life and sex. Okay, that's exercise number four. Go up to exercise number three now. Exercise your mind. Write that in, please. In other words, exercise your no. Write that in. Capital N-O. Where do we get that? Right after Paul says these stories are for our example. Look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape. God has a way out, my friend. You will be able to bear it. You see, that's the difference between Joseph and David. Two men under sexual attack by the same arch enemy. Two men. Do you know the difference between Joseph and David? Joseph fled. David fed. And therein is a the difference of a tale of two boys. One fled. The other fed. Image shot up on the, on the screen. He stayed. The other said, I'm out of here. Off. The difference is between fled and fed. I'm going to be like Joseph, don't you? I want to be like Joseph. So just say no. Say, but how am I going to do it with pornography? Guess what? There's an off switch. Now that's a concept. Turn it off. On your Saturday night date, all it takes is a polite but firm no. And if that does not work, you have my permission. Which part of that no did you not understand? The N or the O? <laughs> exercise your spirit, prompted mind, and say no. Look at this: James four seven, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Second Timothy two twenty two, flee also youthful lusts. Just say no. Run, boy, run. That's what those legs are for. All right, four exercises. Exercise number two, moving up to number one. Exercise number two, exercise your body. This is beautiful. First Corinthians 6 verses 18 to 20. Flee sexual immorality. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You're not your own. You were bought with the crimson currency of Calvary. You've been bought by the cross. He bought you. I tell young men who come in to see me and, and who are struggling with sexual addiction. Write this down, please. This would work for a woman too. begin a new physical exercise routine, preferably daily. Begin to exercise. It's called transference, where you shift your energies previously focused on sexual stimulation. And now you invest those energies in physical exercise. Work yourself out until you drop. You'll get over that urge. (laughs) Run another mile. (laughs) Become a marathon runner. (laughs) By the way, write this down, too. While you're at it, keep your body free from stimulants. What are you talking about, Dwight? I'm talking about drugs, alcohol, nicotine, caffeine, flesh foods, heavy seasonings, high sugar. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. They have been bought by the blood of Jesus. That body does not belong to you. Do you understand that? You don't own this thing. You can't put into it what you want. It's a temple. And like Jesus did twice in his ministry, you and I are going to have to walk through the temples now and then and say, This stuff is out. Get it. Take these things out. Cleanse the temple. Cleanse the temple. That DVD no longer needs to be in my library because when you watch that DVD, it has a sexual trigger in it and you know it. Just get rid of it. Get rid of that magazine. Get rid of that stuff. You don't need that music. You know what it's saying to you? That music is saying copulate. Get rid of it. Be a man. Stand up and say no. Take care of your body. It's a temple. All right. Finally, exercise your soul. Most important of all, I love this, Psalm 42, verse 2, My soul thirsts for God. Writers, both Christian and non-Christian, you'll see this in literature, they often describe our sexual drive as a thirst. I like that. The ultimate thirst is for God. Jesus in John chapter 4 verse 14 says, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give her will never thirst. She won't have to go for that fake intimacy because I'll feed her. I'll quench her thirst. His thirst. Replace fake intimacy. With a genuine divine intimacy. Would you jot this down? Would you jot this down in your study guide, please? Let me put it on the screen for you. Jeremiah chapter 9. God says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich woman glory in her riches. But let him, let her, her glories, glory in this. That she, he understands and knows me. And just right there. Right, right. That's the same. Right. Genesis 4.1. The same no. Yada. God says, I want that intimacy with you. I want to be so close to you that it's like. It's just like a husband and a wife. That intimate. I want that with you. Ladies and gentlemen, replace. Replace the fake intimacy for the real thing. Go after God. Say, I'd like to know how to go after God. Tell you what, I'm going down to South Bend tonight to the Century Center meeting with our television viewers. We're going to tape it there. We're going to put it on our website. A new way to pray. I'll give you a way to pray that will take you intimately into the very depth of God's friendship. You go to our website eventually. You'll have that. We'll teach you. You're not alone in this. We'll help you. Exercise your soul. Alright, gotta sit down. You know what? All this talk about sex makes us all feel guilty, doesn't it? Feel a little guilty, just talking about it, thinking about it, memories come back. So how would you like to become a virgin again? Wouldn't that be great? How would you like to become a spiritual virgin? Start all over again. Once upon a time, there was a girl, she was thrown at the feet of Jesus in a heap, early one morning in the temple. They said, we caught her in bed with another man, not her husband. She's an adulteress. What shall we do with her? And by the way, they already had the stones. These are the elders of the church. They already had the stones in their hands. So what are we going to do with this girl? Moses says, stoner, what do you say? It's a trap. They're trying to get the young teacher and preacher. Jesus knows it's a trap. You know what he does? He stoops down and there on the temple floor, just in the dust, he begins to write the secret sins of the elders. Because elders have sexual temptations too. You didn't know that. But they do. And he writes it there. And then he stands back up and he looks at the men. And he says, all right, the guy without sin, throw the first stone. And from the eldest to the youngest, they slinked away. Until the only person left in that circle is the girl. And the breathless crowd, what will he say to her now? Jesus stoops down and takes that quivering chin and looks into those penitent eyes. And he says, girl, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave that sin behind. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the greatest news that can be announced today. No matter what your sexual sin is, when you come to Jesus, that's what He says. Calvary's outstretched arms say, I don't condemn you. I do not condemn you. Just leave that sexual sin behind. Let me be your intimacy. Let me rewrite your future. Let me walk with you. I'll make you a man yet. I'll make you a woman who will never drop her eyes when the subject is mentioned. I'll make you a woman who can stand in her noble, divine purpose. I'll make you a spiritual virgin again. I'll create in you a new heart. I'll wash you with hyssop. And you'll be clean, forever clean. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a deal I can't imagine turning down, can you? I can't imagine turning down that offer at the bottom of your study guide right now. Do you see it there? I'm giving you an opportunity in the privacy of your own heart to commit to nobody but you and God. You're not turning that in. You're going to keep that if you wish. You can clip and save it. What's it say? By the grace of my Lord Jesus, I receive his forgiveness for my sins. And I choose now to live a life of moral purity as a spiritual virgin till he shall come for me. I'm going to live pure. Even if I get married, I'm going to live pure. I'm going to live pure for the rest of my life by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Dwight, I don't condemn you. I do not condemn you. Is there one of us here who could not sign this and make this moment an unforgettable commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? You can sign it. Too embarrassed to sign it in front of the people around you. That's okay. Take it home. Sign it, in a, sign it when you're all alone. It's just you and Jesus. He'll, he'll know what you mean. I want to commit to Him.